Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm excited to have and welcome my guest, Josh Hammer, to the show. He's a senior editor at large and host of the Josh Hammer Show at Newsweek. He's a syndicated columnist for Creators Nation, which means you can read his pieces all over the country for those of you uh, who are not familiar with Creators Nation. Uh, and he's also a host and fellow at NatCon Talk. For those of you who are not familiar with NatCon Talk, that's the National Conservatism, restoring a world of independent nations, home of the National Conservatism conference so check them out as well uh, welcome to the program josh sure michael it's a real pleasure thank you so much for having me man i'm excited and josh uh, ladies and gentlemen is also a, a fellow uh, center clip creator as you guys know every saturday i'm always doing my center clip saturdays at the end of every month i always want to encourage you guys to go and check out the center clip app it is an app that brings together individuals on the right on the left as well as in the middle to offer analysis on politics, business, culture, centerclip.com. It's free. Uh, these guys are giving their analysis based on their experience for free. Uh, and so you can go and listen to people without the noise, without the short five-minute sound bites that you hear on television. You can get real nuances from voices that you respect or voices you may not have heard of, such as Josh. Again, that's centerclip.com. So, Josh, I want to jump straight into what we all saw uh, a few days ago, Wednesday night, first GOP pr uh, primary debate, uh, the big elephant in the room, President Donald Trump was not there. Uh, do you think that made a difference at all? Yeah, the elephant in the room or the elephant's not in the room, right, <laughs> as, 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 as the case may be. Look, I mean, the entire dynamic of the debate changed. I mean, it would have been a, a markedly, markedly different debate if Donald Trump had been there. For starters, he probably would have taken most of the incoming fire that was instead directed at Vivek Ramaswamy. I, you know, I assume that Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, folks, folks like that would have trained. I mean, maybe even Nikki Haley. I assume that they would have trained their ire instead on Trump if he were there. You know, from from my perspective as a commentator, podcaster, columnist, and frankly, just also as, as a Republican voter, I I would have strongly preferred that President Trump be there. I I do think that it is insulting to Republican voters for for him not to have been there. This kind of notion that his support is is presumed doesn't have to make his case because he's leading in the polls. All that. I, I do think that that is somewhat of a of an implicit middle finger of sorts to large swaths of the Republican voting base. Having said all of that, from his perspective, if I were him, I probably would have done the exact same thing. Uh, if if for no other reason than the fact that he is under four criminal indictments, and as as an attorney myself, as someone who has practiced law and actually clerked on a federal court of appeals. You definitely do not want to put yourself in a situation where in kind of a moment of angst and kind of a debate crossfire, you might say something to further undermine your legal position. So I, I totally get it if that played into the calculation, but I, I do wish that he were there. And it obviously would have been a very different debate if he had been there. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, do you think, Josh, going there, considering all of the indictments and let's say someone like a Chris Christie, who we know is eager to go after Trump, maybe even Asa Hutchinson, do you think they could have lauded attacks against Trump that could have caused him to respond in a way that prosecutors could potentially use some of his statements against him in the pending cases? Maybe Chris Christie, because he just has a tendency to kind of really take the gloves off and try to get yeah. under his opponent's skin. I mean, uh, you know, Asa Hutchinson, I mean, like, what the heck is he doing on the debate stage? Let, you know, <laughs> let's I mean, let's be real there. I mean, I I, I, I hate to say it that explicitly, but I mean, I, I just haven't I, I genuinely do not know what he is doing up there. It, it frankly just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But maybe Chris Christie. And yeah, look, I mean, that is all fair game. I mean, that is That's that is true. All, it's, it's all fair game for for a court of law perspective. You know, when 
when Trump had a similar-ish sit-down as he had to, 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 to Tucker, he had one with Sean Hannity a few months ago. And I remember I was watching these clips come in over Twitter and on my TV. I'm thinking, oh, my God, like, is he really saying some of this stuff? I mean, like, you know, Jack Smith, they're totally going to glom onto this when it comes to courtroom. So there's definitely nothing that would preclude them from doing so. Right. And and, and I'm glad you brought up the Tucker thing, because I want to bring that up before we go to the debate overall. Do you think it, it, it was a wash, the Tucker Carlson um, interview? I mean, Josh, 280 plus million views. Maybe, sort of, maybe not. I mean, it depends on what you consider a view. I mean, what, what do, do you think there was a net gain to the former president by doing that sit down with Tucker? Well, I, I, I doubt he hurt himself. I mean, it seems like Tucker mostly asked softball questions. So it, I, I don't see that he hurt himself. I mean, whether he actually boosted himself, I think, is an open question. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's worth pointing out that the the metric the 240 or whatever gargantuan number, 240 million people that is getting floated or or bandied about right now, it's not quite accurate. So the way that the way that Elon Musk has Twitter currently measuring that is basically if you were just scrolling through your feed and you come across that. Now, that, that's still a staggering number, but it was just a little while ago I was reading this article from from Mediaite, and they kind of explain how well if you based on on this other analysis. It, it, it actually seems that a similar number of people probably actually watched the full Tucker, uh, the, the full Tucker Trump thing, uh, as did the Republican debate itself. Possibly, actually, even even less than that was actually the conclusion that this Mediaite article drew. So it, it, it's not quite an apples to apples comparison. The way that the kind of the TV Nielsen ratings work is it's just a fun. It's, it's just a different calculation. It's like the average number of people who watch for a full minute. Yep. When it comes to television versus kind of just glancing through your Twitter feed. But, you know, I don't think that I don't think Trump hurt himself. I mean, would he have been able to gain more from kind of shooting back uh, the insults that might come his way at the debate? Probably in the moment. Right. I mean, he's very good on debate stage. But again, you have that legal jeopardy lurking in the background as well. Yeah, that he certainly has to be cognizant of. Um, I, I think that's a fair point. I mean, it's 256 million views. I'm looking at it right now. And and I just wonder, of the 256, was it more like 10 million, 15 million, whatever the case may be? I still think, you know, the number of viewers who may have watched 10, 20 minutes was probably pretty, pretty strong. Uh, but I, I think you raised some fair points in terms of more than likely not having made a difference in terms of, of Trump standing. Maybe he didn't gain uh, anything, and it certainly probably didn't subtract from his current lead either. Uh, but but looking at the debate overall, you have Ron DeSantis standing uh, in the middle. I, I was looking at a Fox News poll, Washington Post poll that they, they uh, aired on their programs and also wrote about on their website showcasing that many Republican voters believe Ron DeSantis uh, was the one who won the debate, followed by Vivek Ramaswamy. I think it was then Nikki Haley, then Mike Pence. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What are, you, what are your sort of initial thoughts on that? Like, who to you had the best outstanding moments of the night? So I don't think that there was one person who thoroughly and completely dominated the debate. I mean, that was mm-hmm. definitely not my 
my takeaway from from what happened up there. You know, I think some people probably outperformed relative expectations. I mean, I mean, Nikki Haley, who's not quite my cup of tea on a personal level, but I thought that she <laughs> actually I, I, th I think she actually did quite well, frankly. I, th I think that she actually held her own in her various exchanges. Mike Pence, I think, definitely overperformed. He proved very adept at kind of getting the camera to focus on him, which is why he was able to to actually speak for the longest time of all the candidates. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure if, if Tim Scott helped himself that much. On the other side, Chris Christie definitely did not help himself. De DeSantis clearly had the the most to win and the most to lose. And from mm -hmm. from his from his perspective, it it didn't go as I expected it to go. I, I mean, I think many of us expected him in the absence of Trump to get the bulk of the incoming crossfire. And that's that's certainly what I expected. I mean, Christie, Pence, Haley, a bunch of them had taken shots at DeSantis for his fight against the Walt Disney Company and things like that. So I, I was I was kind of hoping as someone who fairly publicly supports uh, my governor here in Florida, Ron DeSantis, I, I was hoping that he would get into the fisticuffs and kind of, you, you know, show that that side of him. But but the opportunity just just didn't arise. Having said that, he, he, he had a lot of very substantive and compelling answers on the questions that he was able to address. I thought his answer when it came to immigration and the cartels was was exceptional. His answer on crime and removing Soros prosecutors was very good. And his, his personal answer when it came to military service and his decision to go serve the country after 9-11, all of that I thought I, I thought was, I thought resonated. Now, it wasn't kind of a first round Mike Tyson knockout blow, but I, I do agree with the consensus that if you had to select someone who you know, who, who quote unquote won the debate, if that's kind of the binary kind of won or lost thing that we're going with, I, I, I would choose him. And, you know, sure, Michael, it's funny, just as you and I were getting ready to record this, I actually came across a, a, a brand new poll, apparently. Oh, from, oh so, uh, what, what are the numbers? Let us hear. Yeah, it's a brand new poll for, from Public Opinion Strategies. 400 Iowa likely Republican caucus goers. It looks like DeSantis's support in this poll shot up from 14 to 21 in the aftermath wow. of the debate. It looks like Trump slipped from one, uh, so he he went down from forty two to forty one. So, uh, you know, based on that, it looks like DeSantis definitely benefited at least a little bit. Yeah, and and, and that matters. I mean, Iowa has a very different process. It's a caucus process. I've been there on three presidential campaigns, and it's unlike anything uh, for, for our listeners you have ever seen. So you may be thinking, oh, that's not a lot of people. Oh, trust me, that that four hundred plus uh, makes a substantial difference. Let me, you know, Josh, you you mentioned. Tim Scott. And Tim Scott has been an interesting figure in, in this entire thing. And, I, and I'm kind of I kind of want to go through each of, of the candidates for different reasons. Um, he's the only black American up there who's a Republican. Uh, he's the only black Republican in the U.S. Senate. Uh, when he first launched his campaign, a lot of people came after him on the issue of race. They've been wanting him to talk more and more about race uh, for a litany of reasons. He's a nice guy. He has the ability to raise a ton of money. I mean, he, he's sitting on a pretty solid war chest, not only from what he transferred over uh, from his Senate campaign, but but what he's raised thus far from from large donors. They seem to like him. Yet he didn't necessarily have a, a highlight moment. I, I don't think anything he ever said really stood out to me, Josh. So with that in mind, do you think Tim Scott really needs to try to bring it during the next debate? Or is that just not a skill set you think he has? Because it, it matters, especially to voters. Yeah, I'm just not sure that that, that that's his wheelhouse, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tim Scott is known for being a, a very nice, affable person. He, I I think his Senate Republican colleagues think, you know, they think very highly of him. I, I think the NRC likes to kind of trot him out in fundraisers because the donors tend to like him a lot too. But, you know, kind of a crossfire you know, setting where, where where you're trying to get in kind of points. You know, you have Chris Christie calling Vivek Chat GPT, whatever. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's very hard to envision Tim Scott going there, right? I mean, it, it's just not a shtick. It's just not. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, all politicians kind of have their strengths, they have their weaknesses. You know, frankly, I'm not entirely sure how much that plays even to Ron DeSantis's strengths either. I mean, I, I was hoping that he would get into it a little bit with Vivek or someone, but he I, didn't. I mean, I, he he didn't. I mean, and I was there actually last uh, October. I was there in person at his one gubernatorial debate with Charlie Crist, and I'm just not sure that that's quite his strength either. So uh, some candidates thrive in that setting. Chris Christie is is known for thriving. He you know he was oh, able to yeah. he, he 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 elicited some very loud boos on on Wednesday. So <laughs> I, I'm not entirely sure how much 
he benefited himself. Trump certainly is known for thriving in that setting. But yeah, this kind of, you know, trying to go for for quick, dirty kind of social media viral sound bites that that's just not Tim Scott's game, I don't think. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And next to Scott was um, North Dakota Governor Doug Bergman, Bergman, um, Bergham, excuse me, worth one point five billion dollars. And I bring that up because he's just a very successful guy, accomplished guy, started with nothing. I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for his business acumen. I mean, I know a lot of people don't know him. He, he wasn't necessarily an exciting person on the stage. Uh, but as someone who loves business, and I do quite a few things in that sector as a small business owner myself, I love sort of looking up to people like that who sort of built something from scratch and to sort of study and learn what they did and learn from some of their mistakes. With that said, though, Josh, with all of this experience, and I think he made some very salient points, I'm just not certain that those points will register with where the current iteration of the Republican Party is, which is more populist, more nationalist. I think he's more of a, you know, maybe an old school Republican from like the 80s or the 90s. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree with that, although I will say that I mean, that was my first time really listening to him talk. I'd seen mm -hmm. him on a couple of Fox News soundbites, but I haven't spent a whole lot of time. I, I, I actually was pleasantly surprised. I mean, he speaks quite well, as you know, should not be surprising for someone who has had that much business success in the private sector. And, you know, I mean, even kind of his taking out of the Constitution to make kind of a Tenth Amendment federal federalism. federalism point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that that really was and I say this as a constitutional attorney but by background. I mean, that, that really was a bit of a throwback to somewhat of a bygone era. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, for, for better or for worse. But like, you know, the era of kind of Tea Party constitutional conservatism really seems to have passed. Maybe he would have been a, a better substantive fit for running in, in kind of the 2012 primary the, the primary with Mitt Romney Rick Perry all those guys back when the Tea Party was oh, kind yeah, of so, yeah but you know but back when they were kind of sort of still a thing I mean the one thing that I will also say about Doug Burberry I thought he, I thought he was very well spoken if nothing else and his track record in North Dakota is very good North, North Dakota has had a very good run they've been they, they've been very blessed actually to be on top of a lot of hydrocarbons they've had a lot of the fracking the shale revolution when it comes to that but he he really has successfully muscled through a quite conservative agenda. It's a very pro-life state. So his record is a good one. But yeah, I mean, let's just be honest here, Michael. He's not going to go anywhere in this field. Yeah, un un unfortunately, <laughs> I think you're right. But I really like him, man. I mean, I'm not an attorney by trade, but my undergraduate degree is in political theory. Uh, and even my graduate degree, I focus a little bit on it from an economic perspective. And so I really appreciated um, federalism and, and his sort of 10, you know, top, pulling his hat off and bowing his head, showing that respectability to the Constitution. To me, that's important. You don't hear it often. But guys, uh, this is Sure Michael Singleton. My guest today is Josh Hammer, senior editor at large and host of the Josh Hammer Show on Newsweek. You can follow him on Twitter at Josh underscore Hammer. That's, again, at Josh underscore H-A-M-M-E-R. He's also a fellow creator on Center Clip. You know, this is my Center Clip Saturday. You can go to centerclip.com and deliver short clips of political commentary that you can listen to on the go. We'll be right back after this quick break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
let's recall that Doug Burgum has spent, I think, about a million dollars of his personal money just to get on that debate stage because he had this kind of funny gimmick, which I was kind of surprised, frankly, did not run afoul of current federal election law. But he had this gimmick where they would mail you a twenty. I think it was a, I, think, I think it was a twenty dollar gift card they would mm-hmm. mail you if you if you donated a dollar. So you would you know just profit nineteen dollars. I I kind of regret not doing it myself to be honest with you. And it was just it, it was it was just a way of of generating the number of unique donations to get up there. So I I mean he's quite literally paying his way to be on that stage. I, whether it's worth it for him, I guess that's something for him to determine down the road. But I suspect that getting the Treasury Secretary tap from whoever the the president or presidential nominee would be, I, I suspect that would definitely make the million dollars or however much it ends up being worth it from his perspective. <laughs> I certainly think so. Uh, Let's move over to the left-hand side of of the debate stage, Josh, where we saw uh, Asa Hutchinson, (laughs) Trump likes to call him Ada Hutchinson and Tucker Carlson. So why are you calling him Ada? And he said, oh, you know how Trump is, Josh. Oh, I don't don't really want to say. You know, he likes to play into that. That's part of the showmanship, I suppose. And then next to Asa, you had um, Chris Christie, former governor out of New Jersey, what, what, what are your initial thoughts on Asa, Josh? I mean, he seems like a nice guy, a Christian guy, a former governor, former prosecutor, but I really don't understand why he's running for president. Yeah, you and me both, my friend. Um, <laughs> uh, look, I mean, it's terrible in a sense, but when I think of Asa Hutchinson, the one thing that I just keep on thinking of my mind was this one interview, and I, and I know you probably saw it, Michael. This is like two and a half years ago. It was early 2021. I th- I think it was that long ago at this point. And he had just vetoed a law that the Arkansas legislature passed to ban transgender surgeries, chemical castration, yep. and so forth for minors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, look, this is Arkansas. There are not a ton of big corporate players when it comes to lobbying in Little Rock. Walmart is obviously by far the biggest employer and lobbying presence in Little Rock in the state. So a lot of people, I think, correctly suspected that he was kind of doing Walmart's bidding here. So, you know, he went on that. He went on Tucker Carlson and Tucker just had this this infamous opening question to him where he goes, Governor, thanks for joining. You've come out as pro-choice on the question of chemical castration for kids. Can you explain yourself? So, I, I mean, and, and the interview just like went totally south from there, obviously, right? So, I, I mean, that's kind of what I, to this day, still think of when I think of, of Asa Hutchinson. I have absolutely no clue whatsoever what he is doing there. I don't think he had any memorable lines or made any memorable points None. whatsoever. You know, if I may, one other thing about Asa that struck me as as odd, um, and, and I say this as someone who is Jewish and a Zionist and is engaged to an Israeli woman. I'm getting married to an Israeli woman, marrying into an extremely Israeli family. In fact, Michael, I know this airs on Saturday, but you and I are pre-recording this on Friday, so mm-hmm. I can respect the Jewish Sabbath, the Shabbat. And, and having said all of that, I found it really weird, frankly, that he was wearing this U.S.-Israel dual flag notice that helping mm-hmm. I, I i i just don't understand that i mean you're running for president of the united states i mean this is not the time to talk about a, a, a foreign ally no matter how important that ally may be and i agree with him that israel is a strong and important ally but just not the occasion for that so i thought that was weird as well frankly yeah I, you know I, I i noticed that as well and one of my my friends who's also an attorney like yourself texted me and he said sherm you know i don't always understand you guys and your republicanism and how you guys think he said but what's up with asa and the israeli u.s pen and i said well my assumption is that he's just trying to signal to voters who are very much so pro-israel uh, that asa is going to be pro-israel but i think most republican voters josh would automatically presume that the uh, anyone running on the Republican ticket w- would be pro-Israel, right? I mean, that, that's just something that has been part of the course within Republican politics for a very, very long time. But but let's go over to Christie. Now, Chris Christie is a very interesting guy to me. He and Vivek had a couple interesting back and forth. He said the guy sounds like Chad GPT, the guy being uh, Vivek. He then said the last time a guy stood up here and said he had a funny last name, it was Barack Obama. Vivek hit back and said, well, maybe you'll give me a hug the way you embraced uh, Obama, which really upset a lot of conservatives when Christie did that. But that was during a major national disaster. I got to be transparent on that. Um, what, What are your thoughts on Christie? Because Christie is someone who early on was a strong supporter of Donald Trump, um, wanted a cabinet position. Some said it was attorney general. Others said it was other high-level positions within. I'm not exactly sure. 
has since soured on Trump and appears to only be in this race to go after Trump. That 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 is what it seems like, right? I mean, uh, Chris Christie would be, you know, totally fooling himself if he thinks that he has any viable chance to actually win this nomination. His 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 current favorable unfavorable splits might be the worst of the entire field when it, when it comes to Republican voters. Mike Pence is favorable unfavorable split is dangerously low as well. I think he's probably under underwater. But Christie, you know, even in the even in the aftermath of, of the debate, he, he he did himself no favors. His his favorable splits got even worse actually after after that debate. So I, I you know similar to to Asa or Burgum, it's not obvious to me what Chris Christie is trying to do. But it did make for one of the most peculiar moments of the entire debate to me. So it was that very first question. It was kind of a long-winded question. They brought on this new hit country music song, Rich Men North of Richmond. Mm-hmm. And then the then the question when they got to it ended up being about Bionomics. And they gave DeSantis first crack at it. And then they went to Christie. And Brett Bayer followed up with Chris Christie to kind of talk about how New Jersey under his governance had a credit rating downgrade. And you know, I looked to I looked to my friends who I was watching the day with, and I'm like, are, are are we serious right now? We're talking about the New Jersey governing record from over a decade ago of a candidate <laughs> who doesn't matter, and this is like ten minutes into the debate. So, I, I I don't know what he did to kind of get that much attention right off the bat. And I think when it came to to total talking time. He he was pretty high on the list. I think he's I think he's talked for the third most time. The, the, the top three was Pence, Vivek, and then Christie. From not sure, DeSantis was fourth. So for, you know, from that perspective, maybe he accomplished his goals if his goals were just pure airtime. But man, I mean, what's the what's the best that he could hope for? He's obviously not going to get a cabinet position of Trump's the nominee. So the best that he can maybe hope for is. Uh, attorney general in someone else's administration. So uh, I, I'm not entirely sure what his end goal is either, frankly. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. At what point do you think people polling at two and three percent, Josh, should just, you know, before we get to the other candidates, at, at what point do those individuals just drop out of the race? I mean, is, is this a vanity project? Are they chasing shadows here? And, and at what point... <laughs> One of my friends who who's an attorney told me that I should not say this on television because I might irritate some lawyers. Uh, but I said, this is almost borderline fraud to me. And I say that because you are purporting to be able to do something to seek financial gain out of people to continue to stay in this race when you know what you're trying to do. It's just not mathematically possible. You're You're literally lying and fooling people. I mean, this is almost like a, a, a scheme to me. At what point do these people stop doing this? At what point do they stop going to donors, small donors, not the wealthy guys, but everyday people who are working hard to give them five, 10, 20 bucks and say, look, I don't have a shot here. There is no way in the world my numbers are going to increase 10, 15, 20%. I'm not going to keep taking your money. I'm just going to drop out and I'll be critical of whomever I want to be critical of as a non-candidate. At what point should that happen? Or, or do you think they should just stay in and keep accepting money until they decide to get out? No, I I 100% sympathize with your instinct here. I, I think that this very much should be analogized to a fraud that these guys are perpetuating on, on typically innocent, you know, often kind of older fixed income retiree donors. I mean, it's wrong. It, it, it's wrong for someone like like Chris Christie, who has not been directly in the public limelight for at least seven years or so now, who now I think is a recurring commentator on ABC News. I mean, it, it is just wrong for him to go talk to to small dollar donors and say, I'm the best choice to be president because Chris Christie knows better than anyone else that he is not going to be president of the United States. It literally is that simple. So a lot of these guys I mean, it's transparent what they're going for, right? They're going for a nice book deal, for a book that will pay a nice advance, probably won't sell a ton of copies. They're going for a, a public professor gig at some you know top tier university, Harvard, University of Chicago, something like that. And what else? What else would they be going for? I mean, I mean, maybe some of these guys, maybe Christie or Asa, someone like that, would be trying to kind of play the in-house conservative at a liberal outlet like MSNBC, CNN, something like that. But but there's only limited options, frankly that they could be going for there. And, you know, one thing that also comes to mind here, kind of also putting on my legal hat, this is one way where I think the current 
United States federal election law, the campaign finance laws actually hurt innocent older retirees in particular, because, it, it, you know, if we could get to what I think the First Amendment actually calls for, which is effectively no cap on on the level of your political speech, i.e. the level of, of your donor money. So it, if if that were an alternative universe and guys like Christie, Berga, well, Bergam's not a good example because he's worth one half billion dollars. But Christie, Asa, in, in a world where these guys could just rely on maybe one or two kind of ultra high net worth patrons and somehow convince them that, that this vanity run is worth it. You know, that's one thing. But it really is when you add in this bilking of these small dollar donors who aren't worth as much money. That that's that's where it just gets really morally icky, I think. No, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And my hope is that, you know, to borrow a line uh, from Dr. Laura Schlesinger, who has been on radio for longer than I've been alive, Josh, these candidates need to just do the right thing. <laughs> That's it. You're not going to move up. You know that the odds are mathematically against you. Just get out of the race. But look, they want to get in. They want to make their case. I'm OK with that initially. Uh, but I think it's just wrong. And again, borderline fraud, they continue to promise something that you know you cannot deliver on. And some people may say, well, people should know better. Yeah, I suppose you could say that. But there's a reason we have fraud, right? There's a reason that it's illegal to commit fraud uh, because sometimes people do take advantage of individuals. And I don't want to see that occur in the political space. And so I agree with you, Josh, maybe having some changes in that regard of saying, hey, OK, you can stay in. A little bit, but if it becomes very evident that there's just no mathematical possibility, we cannot allow you to continue to take money uh, from hardworking Americans. That, that that is just not ethically right. Uh, but let's go to Pence. Mike Pence here to me had one singular goal, Josh. And I'm curious to see what your thought process is. I've worked on three presidential campaigns, Newt Gingrich, uh, Mitt Romney when he was a nominee, and then I was with Dr. Carson I went to most of the debates when I was with Dr. Carson as a senior advisor, went into the Trump administration with Dr. Carson briefly until the president fired me because he can be a little insensitive sometimes <laughs> about being criticized. But that's exactly why he is where he's at, because no one tells him the truth. And that's an unfortunate reality. Uh, but but nevertheless, Mike Pence had to walk, in my opinion, a thin line of being proud of what he would argue and what some Republican leaning voters may perceive as the positive components of the Trump Pence administration, while also trying to separate himself from some of the more concerning aspects of President Trump's behavior and ultimately his actions that have led to these indictments. And we could debate whether or not they're right or wrong. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, but, but I think he tried to walk that line. I think for the most part, Josh, he was somewhat successful. It is a very difficult needle to thread, right, where he's talking about the accomplishments of the Trump-Pence administration, which, frankly, is not even a term that many people talk about. You kind of typically so just hear – I mean, you typically just, just hear referred to as, as the Trump administration, so the very – the, the very terminology Trump-Pence administration is, is somewhat jarring to the ears because it's just so different than what we're typically accustomed to listening to. So the needle that he's trying to thread is to take credit for the good, and there obviously was a, a fair amount of good that came during those four years, while basically saying that the president betrayed himself and the country on January 6th, therefore all the accomplishments should kind of go my way, not his way. And that's a very that's just a very difficult dance to pull. But, you know, to Mike Pence's credit, I do give him a lot of credit because I think that he had a successful debate. I mean, he spoke for more time than any of the other candidates did, in part because he he's just natural in this setting. I mean, he's not a fiery guy. He's not a Chris Christie on the personality scale, anything like that. And he's kind of almost somnolent and sleep inducing at times. But he is a veteran at this. He's been he's been doing debates for a very long time. I mean, he you know, he was an important congressman from Indiana. He was the governor of Indiana, uh, you know, during some some high profile fights back there in the Hoosier state. He was obviously vice president of the United States. You know, he debated. Uh, what's his name? I guess Tim Kaine back in 2016. Tim Kaine, that's right. Yeah. Just, it was yeah. a terrible, BB terrible running mate. <laughs> Awful. So Tim Kaine's in 16 and then Kamala in, in 2020. So, he, you know, this he, he's very used to this. And that showed. I mean, he, he, he was very natural in his in his setting. 
I'm not sure if he or Vivek got the better of each other when they went after it. I mean, the one thing that I will say that 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 Pence did, which I'm not sure resonated as well as he had hoped, it, it, it's maybe a little too much of the of the Bible thumping stuff. And, and I say that as someone who is very socially conservative himself, who yeah. I, I, I mean, I actually publicly advocate um, for, for, for the Bible to be brought back in school, school prayer. I, I actually support all those policies, but I, I just wonder if that had the effect that that he thought it would. I don't I, think so, Josh. I mean, not to cut you off, I could just interject quickly. When you look at the data and I presume you follow this stuff as closely as I do. Americans, particularly younger Americans, are really turning away from faith. Well, they're turning away from the church, not faith. Let me be precise on that. They're turning away from structural religion. And for a whole host of reasons, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing. I grew up in the church. I come from a family of, of pastors, particularly out of the African Methodist Episcopalian Church and Southern Baptist. So I grew up you know, really strict in terms of, of my religious beliefs. But I do find a lot of Americans just don't put the same faith and trust that previous generations once did in pastors or the institution of the church as a whole. And so I was a bit dismayed at that. And I thought, well, maybe Pence is just talking to an older generation because they do reliably and consistently vote. But I did feel that that was sort of lost on a lot of people watching. But I'll let you continue. Those are just my initial reactions to to hearing him speak at certain points. Right. But I, to an extent, maybe that was part of his strategy because kind of what you just said there as well, Shermichael. I mean, to the to the extent that Mike Pence has a natural constituency, and it's not obvious to me that he does, but but to the extent that he does. You know, it is kind of those 1970s, 1980s era moral majority, Jerry Falwell kind of you know, religious Christian conservatives. And there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, whatsoever. That's a very large portion uh, of the Iowa caucuses base in particular. Mm-hmm. But I, I I just don't see the evidence that that it's working for him this time around, frankly. I, I, I've i seen no polling to suggest that that's that that that, that is going his way. So, look, I, I think Mike Pence is frankly in for a world of hurt when it comes to this primary. I mean, he's the former vice president. He's not going to drop out anytime soon because I I, I, I guess it would, the optics would be terrible or maybe it's for his ego or, or whatnot there. But <laughs> I, I mean, I just I, I just see no way out for him, you know, unfortunately, from his perspective. But, yeah, I mean, he's got to make an appeal to those 1980. Look. I'll put it this way, Michael. If you mm-hmm. want the living incarnation of the 1984 Reagan Bush platform, if that if that if if that is if you think that, the, that like the conservative movement in the Republican Party peaked and it was all downhill from there in 1984, then I think he's your guy. But if you're if you're if you're maybe like a little skeptical, then I'm not so sure. No, I agree with you 100%. Josh Hammer, my guest today, guys, on the Shermichael Singleton Show. Remember, every Saturday, last Saturday of the month, is my Center Clip Month, where I bring on uh, a fellow Center Clip uh, individual, an analyst, business person, commentator, and this Saturday is Josh. So check out centerclip.com. It delivers short clips of political commentary that you can listen to on the go. It's all original content. Some of these names you may have heard of, some of them you may not have heard of, but I highly recommend that you go and download the app or go to the website, centerclip.com. Josh Hammer is a senior editor at large and host of the Josh Hammer Show um, on Newsweek. Go and check out Newsweek, by the way, newsweek.com to see some of Josh's thought-provoking analysis. Uh, he's a writer. He's also a great, um, I, I would argue, articulator of politics and culture via his podcast as well. So maybe you, you're one of those people who don't like to read. Well, you can listen to his analysis if that is indeed your case. Again, that's newsweek.com slash Josh dash hammer. Check him out on Twitter at Josh underscore hammer. Again, that's at Josh underscore H-A-M-M-E-R. He is a conservative, but he is objective. He is fair. He is balanced. And as you heard him say, he's a constitutionally trained attorney. So the guy knows what he's talking about. I'm sure Michael Singleton will be right back after this quick break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. My guest again today is Josh Hammer, senior editor at large and host of Josh Hammer's show, on Newsweek. Check him out. He's also a syndicated columnist through Creators Nation, which means you can read Josh's stuff all over uh, the country. This brother knows what he's talking about. Josh, I hope I can call your brother, brother from another mother, as as of my course. granddad loves to say about some of his friends um, who are not of the black community, but are decent men. You know, Josh, that's a word that we throw around a lot. Black men, we say bro, bro, bro a lot. And I have some friends who are of different ethnicities, and I'll never forget this, Josh. You're going you're to laugh at this man. I have a very, very close friend who, who is a Jewish guy, uh, grew up in my hometown of New Orleans with me, and I'll never forget this. We were in college. I went off to Morehouse, and I want to say he went to the University of Texas at Austin. And then one day, I, I happened to go home to visit my, my parents, and he was up in the Dallas area for something. And he said, Sherm, let me ask you something. I said, yeah, what's up, bro? He said, is it okay if I call you, bro? <laughs> Josh laughed, man, because it was so endearing. And I was like, dude, of course you can. He said, well, I didn't know if that was only for like black guys to other black guys. I said, no, dude, we've been friends way too long. You can refer to me as bro as, as well. So I'm going to go ahead and consider Josh a bro because he's a good guy and he's offering some thought-provoking perspectives. And again, you know, he's, he's a conservative and maybe you guys, you know, how you feel about me, you don't always agree with all of my perspectives, but I think most of you learn something from me. At least that's what you tell me. Well, Josh is one of those people. So I highly recommend that you guys check out the good work he's doing. Follow him on Twitter at Josh uh, underscore hammer. So Josh, I, I want to get back to the political debates before we transition to Donald Trump. We talked a little bit about Ron DeSantis. I started with Ron because he was the center of the stage. What's your thoughts, man, on Vivek Ramaswamy? You know, Josh, I, I don't know, man. I have mixed feelings on him, Josh, because in one vein, I think he's very talented at communicating. But at the same time, I, I think he is trying to tap into the Trump lane. And so in my opinion, it's like, OK, Trump voters are not going to abandon Trump. They will pat you on the back. They'll applaud you for saying things that they like. And then they're going to stick with their guy. So what exactly is his purpose? Oh, where to begin? Um, I I I have Take lots of time, thoughts. Man. Yeah, yeah. I I I have lots of thoughts on Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, I guess I should start by saying that I think that he is a a fraud, a swindler, and a con artist par excellence, wow. who probably has a higher chance of being convicted for some felony in the long term than actually being president of the United States. I think I I genuinely tell us how you really feel, Josh. Yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want to scandalize the audience, but I I say this based on all the data points that I've accumulated, as well as my own personal and professional dealings with the guys. So I, I I genuinely do not trust a single word he says, and I don't think that anyone out there should trust a single word he says. First of all, I think your instincts, Sir Michael, as the country is soon learning in real time, are totally right. He he is very clearly in this as a Trump plant. He is kind of the fullback in there to block the lanes for for Donald Trump, the the halfback, the tailback in this particular analogy. And that's been obvious for really for a very long time. I think back to this time, you know, is when Trump was arraigned at the federal courthouse in downtown Miami and Vivek is there. He's wearing, you know, he's got a bullhorn standing next to Laura Loomer. He's wearing this T-shirt that says truth which I guess they subsequently adopted as their campaign slogan at the time. It looked like a kind of an in-kind contribution to Donald Trump's truth social 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 media platform. He, he has never said a single bad thing about Donald Trump. And then just this past week, earlier this week on on Monday, ABC News drops this article where someone leaked from a private phone call that Vivek 
revealed when he told his close inner circle that he was going to run for president. He said that he was getting in there to spoil Ron DeSantis, to take away votes from Ron DeSantis. So I, I'm not sure what kind of quid pro quo. So why, he, wait, 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 Josh. Now I missed that. Wait a minute here. I don't know how in the world I missed this. So I usually watch everything. I, I'm going to have to go back and find that. So then why is he running? I mean, is, is he a plant by Trump? Is he like, please sort of break this down for me because this is kind of news to me. Yeah, I think that he's absolutely a plant. I I think that he and Trump have, I think that he and Trump have arranged some sort of quid pro quo where, where Vivek will probably get something in exchange for being this level of kind of blocking fullback position if Trump ends up being the nominee. And I, I, you know, that quid pro quo might be explicit. It might be implicit. I'm not entirely sure what, what that looks like, but, but that is what all of the data points point to. And, you know, I, I have to say it, it, it's a lot more troubling than that. Right. So uh, Vivek was, was actually a Soros fellow around the time that he was in law school at That's Yale. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he said that the time he took this to pay for his law school tuition money, he, he then said that he tried to get his name removed from, from their website. But just earlier this week, Fox News revealed that Vivek was actually already a millionaire by the time that he matriculated at law school. So it's not like he needed the Soros money. I saw another article this week that apparently he he had paid a Wikipedia uh, editor just before he started his campaign to remove the fact that he had referred to the creator of the mRNA vaccine at Harvard as a quote-unquote mentor. You know, now he's talking a big game on tough on China. There's literal photos and videos of him in Shanghai speaking at Chinese Communist Party-affiliated private equity conferences in 2019, 2020. So uh, I, I just do not believe a word the guy says. He happens to be very, very well spoken, but I think that Chris Christie's chat GPT analogy is completely apt. He's clearly someone operating on a high intellectual plane. He's got a high IQ, but you know, because his brain is wired like a computer program, he can say what he thinks the voters want to hear. But you know, God help you if you believe it, I think. You know, this is so fascinating because I just learned today, Josh, I was guest anchoring for the Hills Rising show. I don't know if you're familiar of with course. it. Uh, but I usually guest anchor every couple of weeks. And I was fascinated by the story that I was reading with the producers before one of our segments on Vivek and how he made his money. And I had no idea that I knew his mother was a doctor. I know there was some medication that wasn't approved because the validity of what the medicine was claimed to do or prohibit or to cure wasn't factual. His mother wrote a paper uh, that he somehow bought the paper to the medicine or the evidence. I can't remember all of the details, but long story short, Josh, they did this. The stocks went up. Vivek made hundreds of millions of bucks. And then it was revealed that everything was false. Like it just wasn't true. And the stocks crashed, but it didn't matter because Vivek made hundreds of millions of dollars. And one of the producers broke it down to me this way when they spoke with a journalist who covered the story was in many ways, it was akin to a scam. I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. I mean, the company Roy Vant, where, where I think it was oh, that so company. Oh, so you're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was either Roy Vant or another company where they where they promised that they had the cure to Alzheimer's. Yeah, that's the, right. That's mm-hmm. it. And like, if that gets out, and now the company is on the verge of bankruptcy. You know, even this, this new anti-ESG woke capital fund, which I probably should should also stipulate, I think he partially stole that idea from me and three of my friends who were thinking of doing the same thing. We had a meeting with him where he shot down our idea. And then a few months later, he pops this new business out, looks suspiciously like our business. But even holding that particularly icky personal anecdote aside, you know, he got out of the Strive Capital Fund very shortly after he founded it, I guess, to to launch his so-called presidential campaign. And now there was a, there was another article I think it was from Bloomberg that, that broke this past week where multiple employees are are, are suing him. I, I can't remember oh, exactly wow. what, what the charge was, but I, I mean the, the the guy does not have the track record that I think he gives off as. So you know we'll see. But I mean, if you really want kind of you know my unvarnished opinion, not that I've not given it to you, but I I, I think that he really is kind of a scam artist by nature, and that he has decided that his new scam is trying to deceive and dupe the Republican voter base for for no other reason than to boost his own national visibility and ultimately his already outsized ego. Uh, my guest on today's show, Josh Hammer, senior editor at large and host of The Josh Hammer Show on News Week. He's a syndicated columnist through Creators. 
uh, nation. Follow him on Twitter at Josh underscore hammer. Again, that's at Josh underscore H A M M E R. He is also a fellow creator on centerclip.com. Go to centerclip.com where you can listen to short clips of political commentary that you can listen to on the go. You'll get access to original content from names you have heard of. And maybe some you may not be familiar with, such as my good friend here, Josh hammer, Josh, before we wrap the show, I'll give you the last word, my friend. Yeah, what a pleasure. Thanks so much, Shermichael, for the wide-ranging and very enjoyable conversation. So, look, I I guess my takeaway when it comes to the debate, the Trump-Tucker stuff, where this primary is headed over the next few months, now it's kind of the the topic of my most recent column, which just came out yesterday, which I would encourage everyone to go ahead and check out on Newsweek or any number of other right-of-leaning or right-of-center publications. Yeah, look, there are three possibilities for what can happen over the next few months. On the, on the one hand, we could, we could see the status quo continue and that poll that you and I discussed on air earlier where that shows the, the tightening Iowa field does does indicate that maybe there's, there's a glimmer of hope for DeSantis or I guess in theory someone else, but probably DeSantis if we're being realistic. You know, maybe, the, maybe there's a glimmer of hope if this status quo continues, but realistically speaking, Trump is obviously the very strong favorite to be the nominee I, I, unless one of two things happens. One is these particular criminal prosecutions, the timelines are expedited so much so that, you know, he he might literally not have time to do anything other than sit in court, in which case you could see you could foresee a scenario where the donors stop donating. The RNC is begging him to drop out. I mean, it's a little far fetched, but, you know, it's unclear what these judges will do with their respective trials. I mean, it's really the, the discretion of the judge. So mm-hmm. we'll see. And then the final possibility is the field has to consolidate more quickly. And that really, to me, is at this point what it should be about. And I say this again as a DeSantis backer. So, you know, I I think that naturally he's the person, ideally, who this consolidation would be around. Very hard to see how Vivek could get on board with that for all the reasons that we discussed earlier. So easier said than done in many respects. But the point is that unless something structurally changes along those lines, this is obviously Trump's race to lose. So in that respect, he has to be sitting pretty, but admittedly, he's probably sitting a whole lot less pretty when it comes to these particular legal proceedings, which are going to get very interesting here, Michael, over the next few months. No, I, I think you're absolutely right, my friend. Guys, again, Josh Hammer, follow him on Twitter at Josh underscore Hammer. Again, that's at Josh underscore H-A-M-M-E-R. He is the senior editor at large and host of the Josh Hammer Show on Newsweek. And check out his columns. Josh, again, is a center-right-leaning thought thinker, uh, thought provocator, if you will. He's a trained constitutional attorney. Uh, Josh, this has been a pleasure, man. I've had some conservative, other conservatives on the show. Uh, Sometimes my audience lose their mind with me. So sometimes I think when I bring on other conservatives, it may be too much for them sometimes. But I got to tell you, brother, you were so fair and so balanced. And and even if there's going to be some disagreement, uh, with, with our listeners, I think they're going to appreciate what you brought to the table versus some of the other individuals I've had in the past. So I absolutely, Josh, would love to have you back on the show at some point in the future as we make our way through the GOP primary. That sounds great to me. I can't wait for that. And yeah, likewise, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much again for the opportunity. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. I'm Sir Michael Singleton, and this is the Sir Michael Singleton Show right here on Sirius XM Urban View, Channel 126. We'll be back next Saturday, guys. Take care. God bless.